0: I thought we'd do a little name that tune. So I'm going to read the line from a Christmas carol. And you tell me what that, the name of that Christmas carol is. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Very good. Oh, Holy Night. And I think we're going to sing that later this morning. Perfect. We didn't plan that. That's, that's a Holy Spirit thing. There's a great line in that, in that same stanza later on. It says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. How about how about this one? The silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth. O little town of Bethlehem, absolutely. Two lines later, it says, the everlasting light, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. One final one. How about dashing through the snow? Jingle bells, yeah. And unfortunately, there's no talk of hope in that song, so all right. we'll, we'll revisit that a little bit later this morning. We, we hope, we hope that Christmas is true, and if, if the world around us, even here in the Pacific Northwest, in the land of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, right, in Portland and surrounding areas, if everyone around us is really honest with themselves, they want it. they want this to be real too. What we're celebrating this morning, those of us that already know Jesus, what we're celebrating this morning, they desperately want, they need Jesus to be real. And for what we're talking about to be real. Some friends of mine just last week were in a, a, a beer pub having dinner, and there was a Christmas carol sing-along. And they were singing those two songs, O Holy Night, O Little Town of Bethlehem. They, those folks in that beer pub, were non-believers, were singing about the hope that we're going to talk about this morning. You may have heard it said that human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, and four minutes without air. But we can't live four seconds without hope. We desperately need hope. And that's part of the intrigue, I believe, in the whole Christmas story, the mystery, the awe, the wonder of incarnation is that hope is arriving. You heard it read this morning in the Advent readings. There was relatively 400 years of silence at the end of Malachi. God goes silent, at least through the prophets. Now, I believe he was still talking to people, people like Anna and Simeon and others. But from a prophetic standpoint, he was silent. And so there's there's this anticipation, this this eager longing, this hoping or expectation of something to come. And along those lines, I thought it would be instructive before we look at Mary's song. And, and by the way, uh, we're going to have some scripture in just a minute up on the screen, but I'd invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. It, it'd be important to have it in front of you if you have a Bible. I meant to look at the pew Bibles to see what number page number it was on. I forgot to do that, but. But take out a Bible, look up Luke chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 46 to 55. 46 to 55, it's Mary's song of praise. But a little bit of background for hope. The word hope. In your English Bible, the word hope does not occur until the book of Ruth. That's quite a ways in the Bible. And it occurs when Naomi is talking to her daughters-in-law who they've all lost their husbands and she's urging them to stay in their land as she goes back to her land and she says, if I had hope of having a husband again, it would still take so many years. She uses that word hope. That's the first time. However, here's what's fascinating. And I want you to just kind of grab a hold of this and then you can do some study on your own. But the Hebrew... Root word for that word hope actually does occur earlier in the book of Joshua, chapter 2. It occurs two times. It occurs when the two spies are having a conversation with Rahab. You remember Rahab? The prostitute who lived on the wall of Jericho. Remember, she protects them and then she lets them go, releases them. And you remember how she releases them, how she lets them go off the wall? Do you remember? A scarlet cord or rope. That's the root word for hope. Tikvah. That scarlet rope, that scarlet cord is later translated as hope. Isn't that great? Isn't that beautiful? And you know what? We've, we've heard in these Advent readings, there is, a, there is a scarlet thread, there's a scarlet cord, or there's a scarlet rope that goes all the way through redemption history. From creation, from Adam and Eve, all the way till tomorrow night when we celebrate Christmas Eve, we're going to celebrate in the throne room of, of heaven in Revelation chapter 5. And, and there's, this, there's this same thread of hope, the same scarlet cord. Well, after 400 years of, as we said, of prophetic silence, the angel Gabriel suddenly appears earlier in chapter 1 to a priest named Zechariah. And then he appears um, a little bit later in chapter 1 to this very young virgin Mary, and he claims this in verse 37. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Notice in verse 38, if you have your Bible open, it says Mary's response is, Behold, I am the servant, or literally, the bond slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's why I love the lyrics of these songs that we sang this morning, because they, they spoke of the word of God, and the beauty of God's word, and the power of God's word. Mary's understanding of God's promises led her to, to then sing a song of praise. And it's considered by many to be the most magnificent magnificent psalm of praise in the entire New Testament. From verses 46 through 55, which we'll look at in detail in just a moment. I want us to stop just for a second, though. How old do you think Mary was? Someone said 13. I heard 13. Yeah, I, I, I would buy that. <laughs> if we were, if I was auctioning here, I would take 13, absolutely. According to Jewish culture and history, she could have been as young as 12. You could be 12 and be, be betrothed to someone else. Now, you may not get married for several years later, but the fact is, we don't know exactly how old she is, but we do know that she's young, and I believe she's in the early part of her teenage years. Yet, her... Her song here that we're going to look at is filled with Scripture quotes and allusions. How is it even possible, right? Those of you that have a 13-year-old in your home (laughs) or have had a 13-year-old or are about to have a 13-year-old in not too many years distant. How is that even possible? It's amazing. Mary somehow has saturated her mind and her heart with Scripture. Now, this is... Her song is not some carefully crafted composition, but rather it's a spontaneous, it's an outburst, it's an outpouring of deep emotion, but it's fully laced with Scripture. It's amazing. She hid God's Word in her heart and then turned it into a song. In fact, her song is modeled after Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. you remember Hannah? She couldn't have a child, and then she prays to God. And then the priest says, you're going to have a child, and she does, and she dedicates Samuel to the Lord. In Mary's case, in the song we're about to look at, she alludes to, uh, alludes to multiple psalms. Let me just mention a few. I'll take a deep breath, and 22, Psalm 25, 31, 34, 35, 44, 89, 98, 103, 113, 126, and 140, I cheated, I took a little breath in there. It's amazing. And that's just a sampling. She quotes from prophets as well, the prophet Isaiah and Micah and Habakkuk. Um, Her love for God's Word is very evident in this outburst of praise. And when I think about that, I've got to stop and realize that my love, our love for God's Word, is one of the greatest evidences of God's grace at work in our lives, in our hearts, right? The Bible the bible should be our book of books i happen to to love reading spy thriller novels that's recreational reading for tim and i'll go through an 800 page book within a couple days it's just I, I can't get enough of it right but that's not the book of books right you may have a favorite genre of literature but the book of books is this right here the bible is our book of books notice with me in verse 45 if you again if you have your bible open Elizabeth, the priest, Zechariah's wife, has just met Mary. Uh, The baby in her womb, John the Baptist, has leaped for joy. And she says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's what uh, Mary's cousin, Elizabeth, is saying here. She makes some astounding statements. Now listen to Mary's response. We're going to put the... The verses up on the screen as well. Beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. We're going to take several minutes and do what I love to do, and that is unpack this passage of Scripture. Unpack this beautiful outburst of praise that Mary is singing before Almighty God. To me, this is the the big idea of of Mary's song. Mary's scripture-filled outburst of praise gives reasons for her hope in God's mercy. And we're going to look at some of those reasons this morning. So circle back with me to verses 46 and 47. Mary uses two parallel statements to declare the purpose of her song of praise. She is emphasizing the praiseworthiness of God by simply repeating. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now, you can magnify something with a microscope, right? Something that's very small, and you can make something that's very small look big. So you can look at the detail that's what a microscope does but you can also magnify with a telescope you can look at something that's very very big beyond our imagination big but appears small because we're at such a great distance from it right a telescope allows us to see something distant as it really is well Mary's not training a microscope on God She's training a telescope on God. And she's helping us to see. When she's magnifying God, she's helping us see Him for who He really is. Mary then says in the second part of this verse, to, to, uh, to kind of help understand it, the second part of the couplet rather, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And this reminds me of uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. You say, The what? Right. I mean, a good Baptist church, you probably don't know what that is, right? Well, for five years, Deb and I were in, in the Deep South, and I taught at a Presbyterian college. And so, uh, as the only Baptist on the Bible faculty, I had to figure out what is the Westminster Shorter Catechism, right? Some of you may know that. Anybody in here, anybody in here perform Presbyterians in here? Uh, Baptists, okay. They, uh, Jordan, you know all about this then, right? So, the very first question that Presbyterians will ask their children in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? Do you know the answer to that? It is, man's chief end is to glorify God, or in Mary's case, magnify God, and to what? To enjoy Him forever. Do you see it there? That's literally where that first order of the catechism comes from, is these two verses. Now look at verse 48. Uh, in, In verse 48, Mary begins with the little preposition, for For He has looked on me. She's about to give us reasons. She's magnifying God for particular reasons. And I'm going to give you an acronym to help you simply remember this. If you don't remember anything from this morning, at least remember this, this next uh, slide. H-O-P-E. Hope. I don't normally preach this way, but this passage lends itself to this, and so this will be easy for us to remember Mary's song of praise is all about hope. And she gives multiple reasons for her hope. But I'm going to mention just four, and we're going to give a, a, a letter, H-O-P-E, for each of those. Here's the first one. God heeds our cries, our prayers, our predicament. Look back with me now at verse 48. In verse 48, uh, Mary says, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. That term, looked on, is actually a single word in her original language. That that word, uh, some Bible translations translate it, had regard. God had regard. Or he looked on with favor. The word literally means to turn one's attention, to turn one's eyes toward a person in need. And therefore, to be mindful of. Of that person to give special attention to that person in need not just for the sake of looking at them but for the sake of uh, and with the intention of doing something about that need that's what Mary's saying here God has looked on me he's been mindful toward me this is not a casual passive glance because when God looks at his needy people he intends to render aid. He intends to act upon that look. He's not just glancing at us and then moving forward with his agenda. No, God is, is very actively looking at, listening to, heeding our needs. The, the term heed there actually is very similar to the Old Testament phrase, incline your ear. You see that in the Psalms a lot. Oh God, incline your ear. Literally, bend your ear. Those of us that are aging and uh, we're not hearing as clearly as we used to do, we do that, right? We we bend the ear, we cup the ear in order to better understand, to better hear. Well, that's essentially what God is doing. He is heeding. He's paying attention. Now, I'm curious. Why do you think Mary had been crying out to God? It doesn't take long to figure out uh, if if she's 13 or 14 She is suddenly pregnant without the benefit of having sexual relations with a man. She's had an encounter with an angel. She's about to be disregarded and kicked out of her community. The Scripture tells us that Joseph privately thought the man that she was engaged to be married to, he privately um, had thought about divorcing her quietly so that she wouldn't be stoned to death, which could have happened. There's a lot of things that could have been on her mind, right? Just as there are a lot of things that are on our minds she might have been confused she might have been anxious why why me god why have you chosen to regard me how about us what what's troubling us in in a room this size with this many people here there's got to be at least one other person besides me who's had a rough week who's had some things happen uh, debbie and i have some concerns some things happening in our extended family i feel helpless to know how to respond and therefore i feel hopeless that there is a response. And I think Mary is, is representing that same kind of feeling. In other words, the point I'm making here, you may have walked in here this morning. This may be new to you. You may not have this relationship with Jesus that I've been referencing. You may feel helpless at this time of the year. A lot of people do. You may, therefore, feel somewhat hopeless. What I'm saying is, is that Mary's got answers here. God's word has answers through her song here for where we find our hope. How we respond to God in the midst of that. In fact, it's interesting, a lot has been made about the character of Mary over the centuries. Unfortunately, a lot has been uh, said that's incorrect. But notice here, and you'll see it in her song, Mary's character grows out of her understanding of God's character. It's not about Mary. It's totally about the God whom she worships. In the next verse, she's going to say, holy is his name. She understands who God is, and therefore she has hope as a result. Well, let's look at the second reason for her hope, and that is that God orders our lives and our priorities. Not only was God mindful of uh, Mary, but He was also mighty for Mary. He was working on her behalf. Look at verse 49. The New American Standard, I love to study out of that version, it says... For the mighty one has done great things for me. He has produced great things for me. And in saying this, Mary is is calling from both Isaiah and First Samuel and Psalm uh, various references to the fact that God alone is He who is mighty, who has done great things for His people, and that there is no one holy like the Lord. Look at verse fifty-one. He has shown strength or done mighty deeds with his arm. The expression God's arm is a, is a frequent symbol in the Bible for God using and displaying his almighty power and strength to carry out his saving plans. Do you think about that? When you when you look at creation, the, the scripture in Genesis referencing creation, it speaks of God's what, handiwork. Literally the, the Hebrew term there is finger play. It's like what children would do with finger paints. That's what creation is. The immensity, the enormity, the amazement of of all of creation is mere finger play for God. But when it comes to saving His people, when it comes to rendering salvation for someone like Mary, it's always referenced as the strong right arm of the Lord. I love that. God has shown strength on Mary's behalf. There are multiple action words in this song of praise, and all of them are attributed to... To God, God looked, He exalted, He has done, He has shown strength, He has scattered, He's brought down, He's exalted again, He's filled, He's sent away, He's helped, He spoke. In fact, eight different times, the phrase, He has, or in other words, God has done something. This is not about Mary. (laughs) This is totally about God. Yet what Mary's doing here is she is describing the future works of God's Son in her womb what he's going to do, but she's describing them with the certainty of a past event, as if it's already happened. She sees things as already being accomplished by God. How is that possible? That's what we call faith. This young, early teenage girl is an amazing example of faith. And yes, as Mary referenced, generations will call Mary blessed. And that's the proper pronunciation of that word. It's, it's a verb. She's It's not a noun. She's not blessed. It's a verb. She's blessed. Why? Because of what God has done. Not because of anything she's done. It's because of what God has done. And so her great desire is to magnify her Lord, not herself. I read one commentator this week who said, Mary would be appalled if she were alive today. She would be appalled at how the, how the, the church in, in the world has kind of deified her. It's not about Mary. It's about God. You know, here at New Life, one of the songs that we frequently sing is, look what God has done. Look what God has done. He adopted us in love. Who are we that He would save us? That's what Mary is basically asking here. To God be the glory through Christ our Savior's church through all generations. God is worthy of our praise for what He will do in taking care of His own. Understanding God's future blessings moves a believer in Jesus to joy and to appreciation and then, as Mary, to praise because the Almighty God cares personally for us and acts on our behalf. Well, let's look at the third reason that Mary gives for her hope and that's the P, and that is that God promises mercy. Look at verse uh, verse 50. Verse 50 uh, says, And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. What does that term mercy mean? Well, if you, again, unpack it in a little more detail, actually define it clearly, it, mercy speaks of God's kindness or His mercy goodwill towards the miserable and the afflicted. It's always coupled in Scripture. God's mercy is always coupled with a desire to help them. God doesn't doesn't just feel sorry for us, those of us in need, but He's always feeling in such a way that He's going to do something about it. Now, how does that contrast with God's grace? We throw these words around a lot in the church. God's grace... God's mercy. Well, God's grace, you may, you may define it as, uh, God's unmerited favor, right? His unmerited favor towards us. In other words, giving us something that we don't deserve. And that's a good definition for grace. Mercy, on the other hand though, is God not giving us what we do deserve. You see the difference? Do you see the nuance? God's grace is His Unmerited favor, giving us something we don't deserve, whereas mercy is him not giving us what we do deserve. Grace in the New Testament emphasizes God's love toward those who don't deserve it because of their guilt. But mercy is God's love towards those who are in misery as a result of their sin and guilt. And then Mary proceeds to give a few examples of God's mercy. In verse 52, she says, he has exalted those of humble estate, or he, he has, he has raised to a platform of dignity those of humble estate, which she was that. Little teenage girl growing up in the backwaters of Nazareth, she very much, uh, filled that description. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. And this isn't just, um, uh, t- topping off here type of filling. No, this is a filling that means to fill full even overflowing, to fill so that you are satisfied completely, satisfied fully. That's the mercy that God has promised and that God is providing. And then verse 54, He has helped His people Israel in remembrance of His mercy. And that, that word helped means to lay hold of and to then hold fast. Think of the term embrace. It's like, um, it's like I do with my grandkids, right? When they when my grandsons especially yell out, Poppy! And they come running to me. I don't turn around and kind of swat them away. No, I grab them and I embrace them and I hold them fast. And that's uh, what Mary's describing here. That's what God is doing here for His people. And He does it in remembrance of His mercy. Well, number four... In this acronym called HOPE, we see that God not only is providing and promising this kind of mercy for Mary and for His chosen people, Israel, but guess what? We're included. So God expands His promises. We heard that in the Advent reading this morning. It was so beautifully portrayed in that reading this morning. We're sitting here as a result of God's expansion of His mercy and His promises. Back to verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Hey, grandparents, since I am one, I'm going to challenge you here. What, what are you doing right now? What are you doing to extend the promise of God's mercy to that next generation? To your grandkids? Or maybe some of you have great-grandkids, right? What are we intentionally thinking about? What are we intentionally doing in terms of activity to, to, ex, to expand God's promise of mercy and grace to that next generation, generation to generation. In verses 54 and 55, Mary says, He does this in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. Once again, she's quoting from Psalms, she's quoting from Isaiah, she's quoting from Micah. She's citing specific passages that her audience would resonate with, would understand, oh my gosh, she got that from there. And she's applying it to this song that she's singing in praise to God, because God, she sees in advance, God is, is expanding His promises to even those who are coming afterwards. Our Advent readings have, have traced this thread of redemption. I'm absolutely ecstatic about uh, what Taylor Reevely created this year. The last two Christmases I've been in charge of putting together the Advent readings, and they've, they've been okay, but this, this year has been, been off the charts amazing. Why? Because it traces this thread, this scarlet cord, so to speak, of, of longing and hope and expectation. It traces it through God's uh, redemptive history. God is fulfilling His covenant promises to His people. His actions are always in accordance with His promises. And guess what? We're recipients of that. We're recipients of that same steadfast love, not just Mary, not just the nation of Israel. We all are able to participate in that. God's loyal love, the truthfulness of his holy character, make such assurances and therefore hope possible. Well, one final look at this, at this acronym, and we'll see all four of these. God heeds our cries, our prayers, our predicament. But then He orders, He takes action. He orders our lives and our priorities as we cry out in need to Him. And He does that while promising His mercy and His grace. But specifically, she's talking here about mercy. And then God expands those promises. So so I'm I'm left with, where do we... Place our hope. That's why I asked those children this morning, "What are you hoping for?" Right? And uh, Madison Avenue has given done a great job of you know reminding them of things that they should hope for under the under the tree. But what do we where do we place our hope? Do we place our hope in our uh, in our background, in our family, in our prestige, in our training, in our experience, in our uh, political power, in our wealth? And you could go on and on and on, etc. Etc. Where do we place our hope? In other words, what's the what's the difference between a secular carol and a Christian carol? Between the lyrics about a frosty snowman or a, a towering spruce tree and the two carols we referenced earlier, "O Little Town of Bethlehem" and "O Holy Night." Well, at this time of year, at Christmas, just days away from the day that we commemorate the coming. Uh, of Jesus, the birth of our King, with Mary, we affirm that it's Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer to this question. Jesus is the hope for the world, and Jesus is the hope that we desperately, desperately need for our current situations too. You know, as I've um, as I've thought about this week, as I've thought about this young teenage girl Mary and this amazing outburst of praise that she sang, I've concluded several things. Uh, Mary is actually modeling; she's exemplifying what a humble, faithful disciple of Jesus looks like. She is, in fact, a model believer. She's believing in advance. About this baby in her womb. She hears the word from God, she believes it wholeheartedly, she submits to it, she acts upon it, and then she praises God for it. That's what we that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we do as believers in Jesus. That's what a follower of Jesus, that's what a faithful disciple does. I'd encourage us to saturate our minds and hearts in the Bible daily as well, so that the words and the thoughts of Scripture fill our mouths as naturally as they did Mary's mouth. So in the midst of a, of a, a pressing need where we're calling out for help from God, we can do that with the language of Scripture. Biblical hope is a state of anticipation, but it's based on God's character and His faithful actions. It's not a blind hope like, oh my gosh, I really hope this is going to happen. No, it's based on the truth of who God is, not on our current circumstances. So when we feel helpless, and brothers and sisters, I have felt helpless this week. When we have that feeling, we don't turn to that, we don't turn to our circumstances. Instead, we entrust that God's future is going to be better than what we currently are experiencing in the present. So we can join the psalmist David in proclaiming, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 39.7 The God who was for Mary is the God who is for us. The God who is working in her life is the God who is working in our lives. He's, he's hovering, you could say, over the chaos of our lives. But He's creating us anew. He is not a God at a distance. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel right here with us. Mary's God is our God. Mary's song is our song. And in Jesus Christ, we sing a similar song of praise. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for the clear truth of Your word as expressed in this song by this young teenager, Mary. We thank you that even though these words were written, inspired by your Holy Spirit and written thousands of years ago, they still ring true today. They make sense. It's something we can sink our teeth into, something we can hang on to. The truth of the hope we have in you. So Lord, as we continue to worship you this morning, as we continue to Uh, celebrate the birth of Jesus this week. May we do this, Father, with a renewed biblical sense of hope as a result of the lyrics of this song penned by, by Mary so many years ago. Again, Lord, we ask that you would glorify yourself through us as we entrust our lives to you. And Lord, for those that are here this morning, that this may be new, I pray that you would work in their hearts, that you would speak clearly to their minds and hearts. Lord, that they would relinquish control of their lives to You, just as Mary did, and would say the same, Lord, do it unto me as You would have it done. Lord, we pray that You would uh, do a work of grace, a work of mercy in all of our lives that would bring glory to Your name. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.